Well, we are going to start a, a new series today, a short message series. We're calling it uh, Psalms for the Summer, although I wanted to call it Summer Psalms and spell the summer with a P, but I figured that would confuse too many of us. So um, we're going to look at just a handful of really beloved, well-known uh, psalms, and starting today in verse in Psalm 1. So if you don't have a Bible with you today, maybe I could ask a couple of volunteers to make Bibles available. If you don't have a Bible, just give them away. So the book of Psalms is, let me just make a couple of opening comments about the book itself. The book of Psalms is, uh, it's the longest book in the Bible. It's also the easiest book to find in the Bible, because if you have a whole Bible and you open it up in the middle, you'll land somewhere in the Psalms. Um, the, the, it's really the hymn book of, of God's people from ancient times. It contains both the longest chapter in the Bible, contains the shortest chapter in the Bible. It, uh, it's filled with worship and teaching and commentary and prophecy and prayers and confessions and crying and celebrating and joy and sorrow. It's all there in the Psalms, 150 of them. And if you cannot find anything in the Psalms that relates to your life, um, you're doing it wrong. Read again. It's all there, the full spectrum of human experience. Uh, many of the Psalms were written by a man named David, King David, as, as we know him, the, the second and possibly greatest king of the Israelite nation. Uh, but Psalms are written by others as well, some written as pseudonyms and some are written anonymously. We don't know who wrote each and every Psalm that's in the book, including the one that we're going to read today, Psalm 1. The books of uh, Job's, uh, Job, Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, and Song of Solomon, they, they form a block of uh, books in the middle of the um, Old Testament there that we uh, refer to as wisdom literature. They are, they are literary by nature. They're not really so much, um, you know, like history or, or prophecy. They're, they're literature and very tend to be more poetic. Um, and so they use... Because they're literature, they use literary devices. Forgive me if I'm doing an English lecture here, but we'll just get into it for a moment. Um, they are still the inspired word of God, but they use devices such as um, metaphor and simile and parallelisms and even hyperbole. Hyperbole is, uh, is, uh, is like an exaggerated statement to prove a point. For example, this morning I was thinking, man, everyone's off camping this morning. Well, not everyone is off camping this morning. Obviously, we're all here. But a hyperbolic statement or a statement of hyperbole is, is that kind of statement. And you would understand, and maybe it'll look different in the second service today, I don't know. But it, you look around and you say, yeah, everyone's, everyone's away this weekend. Or everyone's doing something fun. Or everyone's buying fireworks. Well, no, that's not true. Not everyone. But we don't say, you're a liar for saying that. It's, it's an acceptable literary device. Hyperbole. Anyway, don't need to go more into that. We're going to see a little bit of that actual thing in Psalm 1 today. But in this whole psalm, it's only six verses long. And so as we read it, I want you to notice that the psalmist is painting. uh, uh, He's using dualism to paint a picture of two kinds of people. And you get to choose which kind of. You're going to be, and he just cuts it right down the line, divides everybody into just two camps. Um, very sort of a black and white sort of picture. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read Psalm 1 uh, from the New Living Translation, as I normally uh, do. 
And then we're going to read it a second time. We're going to read from the screen, from the New International Version, because I want you to get so short. I want us to kind of really have a chance to chew on it a little bit. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word as I read Psalm chapter one or Psalm one, starting at verse one. He writes, oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners or join in with mockers. But they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. They are like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither and they prosper in all they do. But not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. They will be condemned at the time of judgment. Sinners will have no place among the godly. For the Lord watches over the path of the godly, but the path of the wicked Leads to destruction. Let's read it again. This time we're going to read it together on that three slides here, one at a time. Ready? Here we go. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, But the way of the wicked leads to destruction. Amen. Let's be seated. We thank the Lord for his word this morning. So this psalm is really about establishing, um, you know, your life path, your life direction. You get to choose. Are you going to go God's way of wisdom and righteousness? Or are you going to go the selfish way of wickedness? For this writer, there is no middle ground. There's no third way. It's one or the other, which seems easy, doesn't it? Um, Just, you know, be godly and avoid sinners. Simple. But real life is not simple. You cannot possibly avoid every negative or ungodly influence. Now, we could be like the Amish and uh, throw your TVs and iPhones and, and ride a horse and buggy to church and as romantic as that might sound to you, um, do you really think they have a sinless society? No. No, they do not. See, religious does not equal righteous. It's really important to remember. Just because you're religious does not mean you're righteous. Always remember, Jesus, who did Jesus condemn most? It was the religious people. So, and you need to remember as well that Jesus explicitly commanded his followers, which is us, right, to go into all the world and make disciples. So that means being with the ungodly, let's all unbelievers, so that we can help them put their faith into Jesus and turn from sin and turn instead to follow Christ and imitate him. Jesus commanded us to love, to love our neighbors, to love our enemies. So clearly... We're not going to avoid non-Christian people. And yet, there's this verse 1. You're blessed 
If you don't do these things, if you don't walk with the wicked or stand with the sinners or, or sit with the mockers. Mockers in, in wisdom literature means it's a kind of a term for foolish people. Okay, so what's it about? It's about advice and influence. Who speaks into your life on a day-to-day basis? Who do you turn to for input? Where do you go for that? See, are you turning to godly friends and godly sources or ungodly friends? Notice, I didn't say church friends. Religious people, like I just said, can sometimes mislead us just as much as the world. Do you have people in your life, people of love and grace around you? People who are positive and cheerful and optimistic and who love Jesus. We will not avoid those who promote an anti-biblical or ungodly worldview. We can't. You can't just put yourself in a bubble. But we don't take their counsel. We don't join in with their foolishness. Because even Jesus loved sinners. I read this week that, you know, it said many of those sinners and tax collectors were following Jesus. I don't know which point they they shifted from being sinners to being disciples, but many followed Jesus. So Jesus was with, with them. Those are some of his best friends. But he loved them and called them out of their sin. He called them away from the life that they were living. He did not join in with what they're doing. Let me give an example. Maybe um, you've heard of situations. Maybe this has happened to you. Let's say your marriage is, is struggling, just not working very well with your, your, uh, your spouse and your, your friends at work just say, just ditch him. You don't need that bozo. He's just worthless. He's, he's not going to ever change. He's never going to come around. And, and your bitter, unhappy um, friends at work just uh, are not helping you when they do that. Now, that's not to say those things aren't going to happen, but you need to be really careful about who, the kind of, the quality of people that are speaking into your life. Get good, get good counsel. So... Um, how, then, do we build up a Christ-like, Bible-centered perspective while loving our enemies, while loving people who don't love Jesus, while having friends in the world, people who need Christ Jesus, without doing what verse 1 says, walking with the sinners and standing around with them and joining in with the mockers? How do we do that? Well, I've got a simple question that could be a test for us. It's this. Do your friends help or hurt your spiritual momentum? Do your friends help or hurt your spiritual momentum? Now, by friends, of course, they mean actual people, people that are, you know, real flesh and blood people, but also your virtual friends, right? In books, in your Bible, on TV, social media, on the radio, maybe the Andrew Jacksons in your wallet, right? Are your influences helping you with your spiritual momentum to move it in the right direction. Can you see yourself growing in grace and truth and in spiritual insight? Do you see anything maturing in yourself, say, compared to a year ago or five years ago? By the way, I, I do love that the NIV and I think the ESV as well, you know, preserves the more literal language here from, from walking to standing to sitting. Do you see that? Do you see that slow down, that lack of momentum that happens? He says, you're moving. Oh, you, you stopped. Oh, you've just planted yourself. 
It's a little harder to uh, get moving again once you sat down, isn't it? Isn't it? Now compare that to that, that idea of walking, standing, sitting. Compare that to maybe a word the Bible uses elsewhere. The word is run. Isaiah 40, 31 says this. They who wait on for the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. Okay, they're going to fly. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. There is a sense of motion, of movement. When you're with godly people and you're with the Lord. Or how the Apostle Paul put it in, uh, in Corinthians. He said, don't you realize that in a race everyone runs, but only one person gets the prize? So run to win. Run. Keep moving. Get momentum in your life. What are you doing to maintain momentum in your life? Spiritual momentum. Don't take the wisdom of the world ahead of God's wisdom. That's not to say there's not good advice, helpful things out there, nice little memes and faithy sayings that, that go around the internet that are motivational, inspiring. That's fine. But, but don't take ungodly wisdom ahead of godly wisdom. Right? The Bible, for example, speaks to all of your life, your finances, relationships, to science, to addictions, to sex, to fitness, to education. The Bible speaks to it all. So let's, let's turn to and trust Scripture to speak. Let's lean into people who, who know God and who love God, who are wise and positive and prayerful and generous and can help you in your spiritual momentum. Now, thankfully, the psalm writer shares the secret here to know how we can live this blessed life apart from the way things are done in verse 1. Verse 2 says it. They delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on it day and night. Now, remember I talked about hyperbole? Um, that's, that's an example of hyperbole. You can't meditate day and night. You do need to sleep sometimes. You do need to go to work and make dinner and all those different things. But that's the point of saying you have this kind of perpetual sense. Now let's talk about these, these two words. Delight and meditate. Delight is an attitude or an emotion, right? You, you feel something about delight. Meditate or meditation is an action. It's something you do. Right? So the word delight, the, the emotive feeling word, has really positive, joyful connotations. Think about, you know, your favorite... Go ahead. Think about this right now. Think about your favorite ice cream right now. Go ahead. Think about that. Oh. So that's just, you just delight in that. Or, or, a, or a grilled ribeye tomorrow. Some of you are going to have steak on the barbecue tomorrow. Oh. Oh. Yeah. Or, or if you're a vegetarian, a, a salad. Hey, if it works for you, right? Or a dream car. Oh, man, I just saw the most beautiful Porsche the other day. I'm just like, oh, it's so nice looking. It's pretty easy to delight in those things. And what happens when you do? Oh, you talk about it, right? You tell others, you savor it, you go back to it. That's meditating. The attitude is delight. The, the action is meditation. See, there's no need to get nervous about that word meditation. And if you think there's some Eastern religious connotations to it, it's used in the Hebrew. And from the Hebrew, it tends, it could easily be translated murmur or utter or, or mumble or moan. It's a, it's a verbal practice, a verbal action. 
of repetition, of verbally chewing on God's word, things that you've learned or memorized. It's not just ten minutes of Bible reading in the morning and then going on for your day. It's that repetitive internal self-talk, meditating on God's word or in God's law, as he, as he says it. Okay, so what's the law? The law is a general term for God's instruction in the Bible. All that the Bible contains. The person who meditates on the law is one who continually brings to mind and to speech the good news of Jesus or, or the reminders of the great things that God has done or the words and, and songs of, of praise and thanksgiving. Um, you know, maybe today you're going to go home and you're still going to be thinking, Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And you might not remember any of the other words. That's okay. You're just, you're meditating on this wonderful truth that Jesus is a friend of sinners. That's, that's meditating. And the meditator utters these maybe familiar Bible verses or, or phrases, these scripture songs, because it maintains spiritual momentum for you through the week. Now, some of us are going to say, well, I can't do that. I don't, I don't know how to do that. That's too hard. I, I don't have anything kind of stored up. Look, delighting and meditating are choices, but they're learned behaviors. It comes with practice. It's an attitude and an action, right? So um, they don't happen by default, and they don't work very well when forced. Okay, I've got on my to-do list, meditate all day. Well, how do I know when to check that one off? Uh, right? So it doesn't work if it's for, it can't be a work of your flesh. Again, ah, here's the secret. We have a secret. The secret is to create some God space in your life. Create some God space. Okay, so that's your second point. I'm asking the question, does your life have any God space? What do I mean by God space? Well, um, let's be honest. There's, there's always more to do in your week than you have time for, right? How many would agree with me? There's, there's, there's always more to do than, than you have time for. Some of you um, didn't put your hands up. In fact, most of you would say, no, i got plenty of time to get everything done. Can we trade? Can we trade for a couple weeks? Um, I would love to be in your shoes. Uh, this week, in addition to getting to work every day, I also did the following and more. I drove my son to San Jose Airport. I had breakfast over there with a guy I've discipled. I mowed my lawn. I mowed the neighbor's lawn. I worked on the pool. I worked in the yard. I worked on my vehicles. I helped my son with the international university preparations he's heading off for. I roasted coffee. I made dinners. I cleaned the kitchen. I got groceries. I exercised. I visited with several neighbors. I watched some TV. I did my daily devotions. I assembled patio furniture. I walked with my wife. I did some household repairs. Did some reading. Donated blood. Took naps. Cleaned my soul panels, washed windows, did some shopping. Oh, and I don't even have young kids in the house to take to practices and games. Our lives are jammed full. Right? How am I going to create some God space, some moments in my life where I can let God work on me, God speak to me, God be present in me? Well, maybe... You could listen to some good teaching in the vehicle. Learn how to download a podcast. You know, this is a pet peeve of mine. Someone says, oh, I'm just not techie. I could never learn that. You know what? If I can learn it, you can learn it. Do Learn how to download a good teaching. One of my friends is, uh, is a guy named Pastor Tim Keller. He's, I've never met him, and he's never met me. But I consider him a friend because I listen to his teaching sometimes. Or make your drive time a silent time. That, that's a hard one. Or... 
pray while exercising or walking or make sure you're taking a Sabbath day for rest and worship or get up a little earlier to just sit and and think and meditate and ponder God's goodness or turn off the TV and put down the iPad or the or the smartphone. That That's a hard one for me. I got to admit that or skip a game or practice. Your grandkids won't die if you if you don't make it to every single game. It's great to get to them all. But, on, you know, if if life is so jammed full, you have no God space. Right. Or catch up online to some sermons that you've missed here on Sundays. Look, if there's no God space, you won't learn to hear and recognize his voice when he speaks, because he is speaking to you. Because he wants to guide you in the paths of righteousness. And he wants to keep you moving in the right direction. Because according to Psalm 1, we have a choice. Right? We have a choice. We can be like fruitful, life-giving, uh, healthy, green trees. Right? Did you see that? They're like, green, they're like trees planted along the riverbank, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither. And they prosper in all they do. We can be like that. Or we can be like worthless chaff. He says, not the wicked. They are like worthless chaff scattered by the wind. Um, you know what chaff is, right? Chaff is, is what comes when they, when they harvest the grain, when they thresh the grain and the husks and the, the kind of byproduct that's useless um, is, is kind of, they let the wind blow it off or, or get rid of it because it's useless. It's what covers and what's, what remains is the grain. You know, it's just an interesting thought, though. Um, there has to be a process of winnowing, a process of sometimes pounding our life. To see, and it's in those times of pressure that you're going to discover: am I, am I the good stuff or am I the chaff? Hardship will do that to you. Disappointment will do that to you. Uh, long delays and answered prayers are going to do that to you. What are we? Are we the good stuff or chaff? Again, what's the secret? The secret is to delight. And meditate. Those habits, which are surprisingly passive. Um, you, can, you can delight and you can meditate without ever, ever having to go anywhere. Those are pretty, fairly passive activities. Um, it's about pondering the reality of Christ Jesus. If you put your faith in him that Christ Jesus is in you and you are in Christ. You are in him. Is pondering the reality of God is your good father, like we sang last week. Uh, pondering your identity as God's loved child. If God is your father, that means your child. Do you think God hates you or loves you? The good news, he loves you. When you can consider those truths... It becomes a habit that can deepen your roots into the well-watered soil of God's affection. Our theme verse this year is Colossians 2, verse 6. But verses 6 and 7 say this. And now, just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built on him. Let your roots grow down in him. Rooted in him, like Psalm 1 talks about. Oh, verse 3, they're like trees planted along the riverbank. 
bearing fruit each season. Well, we've seen this more in the last few years than, than ever before, right? As we've watched some trees die, maybe some trees in your neighborhood, and those that got water survived, and those that didn't, didn't make it. It's a simple truth of horticulture. Feed your roots, and the fruit will follow. Feed your roots, and the fruit will follow. We, we just see it every day here in the valley. Where there's water, there's life. Where there's, where there's no water, there's no fruit, no life. And here's what I love about this truth. That it's not up to me to figure out how to produce the fruit. It's up to me to get myself to the living water. It's really good. You don't have to like think about, I'm going to make more fruit. No, just get to the water. Feed those roots and the fruit will fall. The fruit takes care of it. Jesus said something very, very similar. He said this way in John 15, verse 5. I am the vine. You are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Ah, the secret is to remain in Jesus. You're not the vine. You're not the stock. You are the branches. Get yourself to Him. You're not commanded to bear the fruit. He does it through you when you abide and remain in Him. So the bad news is, Apart from Jesus, you can do nothing of lasting consequence. The good news is, abiding in Jesus, you can do everything. So it's all Jesus, start to finish, inside and out, the message of the gospel. That if you think, oh, Brian, this is all so hard, it's actually all that you're being invited to do is to put your trust in Jesus. Being in Christ, let Him begin to work that in you. Ponder and meditate on His truth. And let Him produce those good things in you. Let your leaves, just watch, your leaves will be green and you'll have fruit in every good season. Because He does the work in you. Feed your roots and the fruit will follow. So, just three simple questions this morning. Do your friends help or hurt your momentum? And are you creating God's space in your life? And are you feeding your roots? Let's pray together. Father, I love that we live in a, in a place where we can drive five minutes in any direction and we see trees and vineyards and orchards. And it just reminds us again of these great principles that when, when, when we're well watered, when our roots are healthy, there's life and fruit. God, we want to be like the blessed person of Psalm 1 who has chosen not to walk in the ways of sinners, not to, not to stand in the counsel of the ungodly, not to, not to sit with those who are fools and mock you, but to delight in your law and to meditate on it all the time. God, I just confess, we, we don't really know how to do that very well in our noisy, busy world, we're distracted a lot. God, I ask that this would be a week when we find ourselves compelled to create God's space so we can 
just enjoy you and enjoy your truth and enjoy your word. And let our roots get fed and just trust you to take care of the fruit. Church, as heads are bowed and eyes are closed, you, you may just be wondering, hmm, how does this apply to me this week? Can I just really challenge you to consider the God space in your life? Is there anywhere in your week where there's some God space? And if not, what do you need to do to make that happen? Is it getting up a few minutes earlier in the morning? Is it turning off the TV for a little bit? What is it going to be? And lastly, I just want to give an opportunity. If you don't know Jesus as your personal Savior, as Pastor Ed mentioned earlier, today would be a great day to put your trust in Him, put your faith in Him. You might need help doing that. And so I would love for you to come talk to one of us after the service. We could help you do that. The Lord loves you. He's a good Father. He has good plans for you. He's not abandoned you. He's not given up on America. But Jesus didn't come to save America. He came for you. He loves you and invites you to know Him and follow Him. We're grateful. God, we love you. We thank you for your great love for us. Help us to worship you each and every day. And uh, we just thank you. Lord, we want to pray, especially those who are traveling this weekend in various places. We ask for your just mercy and protection over them, whether they're flying or driving, whatever they are. God, we just ask that you would bring us back together in your uh, in your house here. We give you our praise. Amen.